Hi, I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to uncovering what it takes to live boldly amongst the busyness and the mess of our world. Catherine Valicia is the director of one of the country's biggest horticultural operations, Valicia Farms. It won't take you too long for you to hear from this conversation that she is a real go-getter, if we put it bluntly. Having faced severe discrimination throughout her career as a strong female in a male-dominated industry, she has smashed through the glass ceiling to build a $40 million company. Now she's rolling out school programs to get more females interested in having a career in horticulture. In fact, she nearly convinced me to sign up on the spot. Because when you think about it, after air and water, fruit and veggies are the next most important thing in our lives. Where do they come from? How do we source them? What do we know about the fruit and veggies that we buy from the supermarket? In fact, Catherine and I talk quite a bit about the tension between farming and consumer expectations, such as seasonal fruit, can we only get it at certain seasons or do customers and consumers demand it year round? The shape of fruit and any kind of blemishes, even though it may not change the flavour. Catherine believes that a broader education and a bigger conversation between farmers and consumers is required for truly sustainable practices. Catherine is smashing the perception that farming is a man's world. Women were only, and I didn't know this, but women were only legally recognised as farmers in Australia in the 1990s. Prior to that, they were known as farmers' wives. 25 years later, we're still feeling these repercussions. Yet Catherine is paving the way for females to get into these roles and showing them that they can be leaders and succeed in it. So please soak up the tenacity that is Catherine Valicia. Catherine, it's great to be connecting with you. You're lovely to meet you, Ali. Your family has been farming for over 70 years that I understand. Tell me a little bit about your family's legacy. Yeah, well, we've got a similar story, I guess, to a lot of um, farming migrant families. My grandfather, my baba, he came from Albania in the 1930s, thereabouts, with his two brothers. And um, they were they were farmers back in Albania, but um, so they came here and they started dairy farming in Werribee South and then World War II broke out. So the Pakapanyal Army base needed fresh produce and that's how the area flipped. Um, so Werribee South then kind of all turned to uh, horticulture. Um, we grow, the main vegetables that are grown there are like cullies and broccoli and that's because of that Italian migrant story. So we're Albanians, but um, yeah, the Italians kind of, had the ideas around what to grow. So we grew that there. Uh, my baba and his two brothers kind of sent for some wives as they did in the back in the day, which is a romantic story. So that got <laughs> the commodities got shipped over and uh, and then they kept farming and then um, they had some kids because they needed a workforce and then one of them was my dad. Um, the, well, the boys mainly worked on the farm, even though I'm sure um, his sister and all the cousins would have something to say about that. But, yeah, the boys all worked together. And then, um, like, as they got a bit older, you know, it's it's kind of hard to keep everyone's uh, linked together and, you know, too many chefs mm-hmm. the broth kind of thing. Of so course. they kind of all went separate ways, the, the boys. So there's, like, there's probably about four Valicia separate businesses that still run to this day, but we all kind of run working together all in horticulture where, so Valicia name was quite synonymous with horticulture there for a while. Um, yeah. And that's it. And then I joined the family business or dad's business when I was 19, uh, not through any sort of real uh, excitement, but I was just at uni, not doing much. And uh, dad said, you either do uni properly or you uh, come and work. So I came and worked. Um, so then I've worked in the business. I've worked in kind of all the jobs. I worked on the packing line. I worked in the, in the farm. I did all the all the basic jobs. We started with Aldi supermarkets and that was really that when they first got here was 20 years ago. So um, we, we aligned with them straight away through a bit of luck and good management. And um, it was really small order. You know, I'd have one box of collies, one box of broccoli, one box of lettuce that I'd drive up in the ute myself, um, you know, do two hours work, even though I wouldn't tell anyone that. And then, uh, and then, yeah, that's, you know, now we do four to five truckloads a day to Aldi. So we've grown with them as well, which has been a really important part of our story. Um, 
I went, dad had a business partner and he split with him when he was 25. So that meant I had to go into the wholesale uh, markets, which is, um, which is, I guess does have a bit of a name around uh, some, you know, uh, it's got an edge to it, the wholesale markets. It doesn't as much now, but it's still, it did in that time. And it, and it was a, a good learning ground, I think, for a lot of life lessons, though it was really hard because it was night work. Um, it was very isolating, especially being, you know, in your mid-20s. I was kind of then out of sync with everyone and everything. Um, and that, well, I didn't enjoy that at all. Uh, and kind of that probably led me to then thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I can't get doing this. So I went and did a, a degree at uni, um, not for any real reason or passion other than like just trying to. And if I hadn't felt like I really achieved or pushed myself so far. I kind of got in a way pretty easily just going into the business. And I really was probably disengaged for most of my career. So it wasn't like I was really... Um, inspiring anyone or doing anything per se. So I went and did a, a youth work degree just because and that kind of um, I did quite well with with the whole structure and just thinking differently and meeting different people and I added a different lens for me to then see probably all the positives that I was missing in the industry I was in because I was in such a kind of, you know, blinkered mindset about that I didn't have choice. So once this, I had this freedom and this choice, it made me see horticulture so differently. Um, and then we were still running the two areas, so a wholesale business in the market and the, and the Werribee South business where we were doing the Aldi stuff. And then Dad said he was wanting to retire and um, move away from market and then he was going to come and work out of the Werribee space, which is where I was at. And I was about 30 then and I thought this is probably not where I see my next 20 years working next to dad. So I gave him an ultimatum with love and I just said, I don't think, you know, you're more than welcome, it's yours or it's mine. Um, so he decided he wanted to retire uh, quickly. That was a quick decision. So um, then I bought the business off him and I, I bought, I did that for because I've always kind of had that, I guess, independent streak. I didn't, I wanted to just be able to do what I wanted to do. Um, and obviously so financially it worked too for for changeover and things like that and I was lucky enough not to have any other siblings or like I've got a sister but she wasn't in the business or interested or anything like that so that was pretty clean and then um yeah I made some wholesale changes and and I think just with that different lens that uh, you know a bit of self-actualization a bit of confidence in myself that then led us into the like the veg education story which is probably the thing I'm most proud of, because as much as the Valicia Farms thing is really, you know, important, there's legacy and all of that, it still feels like, you know, I'm a caretaker of something that someone mm. else did, you know, and it runs well and I've made some great changes and everything else, but it doesn't really feel like it's it's um, all my hard work or genius. So well, definitely. The, I'm a bit more aligned to the veg, I must admit. Well, um, I'm keen to kind of dive into the veg education and the impacts and the changes that you've made, but it's a remarkable story from Albania to to the the ultimatum with love, which I love that kind of sense of going, hey, Dad, this is great, but it's either you or it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if it wasn't vegetables, was there another career? Was youth work an option? Was there another pathway do you think you would have gone down? No, oh, look, I've really, I don't think, I never really thought about it. I must admit, I, in my 20s, I was probably not really, um, I think I, I'm gladly, I think I'm making up for my underachievements in my 20s now. Um, so people think like I'm going bull at a gate, but it's not really, it's like because I didn't do anything for 10 years. So I'm just, you know, fitting it into five. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't, I didn't really think of it, to be honest. Like I was, it was, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on, whatever, personally. Like I just didn't really. But again, even now I'm in horticulture and I, I do really believe in vegetables as a product and horticulture as an industry. I don't think I'm here because of the passion of vegetables. It's more about, you know, I'm quite a, I think it's the business, the opportunity. I see all the opportunity in the mm. business. I'm passionate about the industry as the opportunity it holds for others, um, for what I can bring it and lead it as an industry. But it's not inherently because I have this, you know, innate. You don't dream pool. about broccoli. Is that no, what you're telling me? <laughs> no, and some growers do, you know, some people do, like mm. they're really in love with the product. I'm not really in love with the product per se. I'm in love, I really just see the opportunities for others in that. And I think, you know, as much as, you know, I'm really an Australian, as you could probably hear by my voice, um, but that migrant 
kind of stuff really is in me and I guess our workforces are so mig you know we've still got such a migrant mm. workforce and that's kind of some something I did in the leadership space that I'm so proud of Felicia Farms has a leadership team that is really diverse and very much reflective of its workforce which sounds like yeah nada but that is not reflective in horticulture still. So, you know, there's this big push always to say, oh, how do we get women involved in horticulture? How do we get women on these top jobs? Which I agree with, diversity. But what I really think is is prominence, like there's no point also having all these kind of women in jobs that aren't reflective of your workforce still. So, you know, I'm really pushed about let's have people who are leading our companies that really reflect who are on the ground. So, that's that's probably so all of that is really what excites me and what created the education space around it and also my you know I really believe in education and not from a um from a skill set point of view like I don't think it's about just the skills that you learn like a trade or whatever or even just to think it's about completing yourself and showing yourself what you can then step into and the, and the confidence it brings there so I think that's a really important part and I've brought that through Valicia Farms with the team and back to that migrant story. So it kind of always just kind of circles and circles and circles in the same way. It's always interesting where those those legacy pieces of where we've come from or the elements of our family really start to show through. When you took over the business and and I guess what I'm hearing from you is a fair amount of kind of independence but also that 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 potential to see the opportunity. What were some of the, either the visions that you put into place or some of the changes that you made in those first couple of years when you when you took the business on? Well, I, always, I took over a business with a group of people that I'd worked with. So I not only knew or probably already had opinions about certain people and roles and everything like that, but they also would have had those same things about me. So so there was obviously there would have been a lot of there was a lot of people who didn't want to work under me, of course. So there was that natural change then, and there was a you know a belief in me also that I I probably didn't I had some people in the team that I really didn't think were you know going to be the next change, and I think that's why it was so important to make such a quick cold change with Dad because what that allowed us to do then is to really just not mess around. You know, it was very clear for everyone who was there what was going to happen, and 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 for me as well. So that, that, that really allowed us to, you know, really cleanse and pivot and everything else. And, and that's not saying that either side was wrong, the people who didn't want to work under me or the, it was just, you know, it just changed. It really was a natural change, so it was a natural culling. But what I really was um, absolutely, I guess, uh, fixed on and in hindsight the reason why I did it wasn't as kind of brilliant as now it appears to have been, but it was um, – it was, we had this workforce that I'd worked with a lot, of, like a core, you know, team of, of boys. And I will say boys because they were mainly, you know, young men, you know, of, of Indian background, uh, Vietnamese background and that. But they were the workers with, with me, you know, as their kind of manager. And I knew what Valicia Farms needed from a, from, a, from a management level, from a higher level that was above what we had in that team. But I really didn't want to be kind of the boss that just kept hiring on top of people all the time. And then some people, you know, killing themselves working for 10 years but not really having the capacity to. So I didn't want to hurt the business by not having the right people in, in the positions mm. that we needed. But I also didn't want to be unfair on the personnel to kind of say, well, you're just going to be the, the workhorses for 10 years. So I sat down with that core group and, and really said, these are the roles we, I believe this business needs. These are the skills, the talent, you know, the career, the, 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 all of the things that these roles need. Um, I think that you could do this role, you could do this role, you could do this role, but not in your current state. So if you want these jobs, these are the things you're going to have to do. Um, and if you don't, that's fine as well. But I don't want anyone to say to me, oh, hang on, Catherine, I want to, you know, like you're not going to just get promoted because you've been there, but, you know, you do have core attributes that I really believe in, but you need to get these skill sets. And to their credit, they did. And I think that's been they've grown with me and that evolution we have this team like of really connected you know people who have put in the physical hard yards but have now are now getting kind of the intellectual um rewards as well as the esteem awards so and that's a very that's a really close bond um there and and it, and it's quite remarkable too because you know particularly me running this you know kind of um leadership team of 
you know, 35 to 45 year old Indian Vietnamese males. Like it is, it is, but there is this mutual respect of like, they'll allow me to reach my potential because I've allowed them to reach their potential. And I think that's a real, it's something that, like I said, I didn't plan on it, even though, but in hindsight, that's probably been our, our magic <laughs> weapon. The perfect strategy. Yeah, it was <laughs> but, the perfect strategy. But you're kind of learning as you go. But it sounds like that that approach of going, this is and that real clarity about this is what we need, this is what's expected. There's an opportunity here if you're ready to step up to it. If it's not right, that's okay as well. But, yeah. but that real clarity is is really key. What would you what would you see as some of your achievements since you've taken on the business? What would you see as some of the achievements of the farm um, or your role in leading the farm? And they may not be the things that, you know, the industry might hold up where you might go, oh, we've sold yeah. it here or, you know, we've, we've grown or we've got four trucks. It might be that stuff, but it might actually be the small stuff. What, what do you see as those key achievements? Well, I, th- I think really that kind of personal thing that I've been able to, you know, lift people into real and myself into another level of sphere of business and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess, influence. So that's been, you know, I feel like that's been quite remarkable in five years. And that mm-hmm. is really just because we, we've grown in our own sureness of ourselves and that's by getting the runs on the board by yourself. And, you know, people I think underestimate and because we live in a culture of kind of projection of, of you know, what we deserve or who we should be and this kind of belief set. But sometimes I think you move yourself into a space that you might, that isn't really um, aligned with your actual uh, physical success. And I think there's nothing more. I think what you do is you shift really from arrogance then into just a real core presence of, yes, I've got a right to be at this table because I've got the runs on the board. And then that really makes you, I guess, a more compelling piece because you're not proving anything. You're not, you know, you are literally present and and acting with the conversation, the space, the leadership as as is. So I think that's been remarkable for me as well as my team. So I'm really proud of that, um, especially, especially for them because I just, I guess, I felt like I've had to probably self-actualise myself a bit, which... It's probably given me a tremendous uh, lot of skills, but it's a painful experience and, and, it, and, it, and it comes with a cost and it does. Um, what I would like is to try to find a more of a middle ground for my team where they still have to do it themselves because I don't think you can, you can um, I don't think you can be as good if you haven't but with more guidance and probably a bit more of a safety net than I had. So it's, I, I try to leave in that sweet spot. Mm. Um, I think, you know, we do run a much better business, efficient-wise, just, you know, cash flow-wise, all just really basic, boring, what makes a good business. You know, I think yep. we do that very well. So and as important. much as, you know, my, my I've got, you know, sales team and all that and, you know, my dad was such a salesman. He kind of loved the, he loved the highs and the lows. Um, I'm not really, like, oh, I'm really proud that we have this kind of boring, stable business now that, like, that just withstands, you know. Mm. Um so, so that and the veg education piece, like that kind of seeing it, seeing the gap, creating it, and now seeing how much of a really actually I believe is a tool that it can be used for an entire industry um, and things have happened, you know, again, looking back, you can kind of say, oh, yeah, I knew that, but I didn't. Like I didn't know any of it. It's just like it's timing, it's everything, um, you know, you've got to you've got to be there's there's got to be I guess a little bit of realist yeah you took a risk you took a punt but I think it's very important to not reframe history and make it something Mm. that's not because again I think then you're sitting at tables pretending and I don't think that helps anyone particularly if you're stepping up with leadership and you want to talk about industries and you want to try to actually influence stuff I don't think pretending helps anyone anything or achieves anything so you're much better off to just be there candid this is what I can talk about this is what I can't da, da, da. I think that's a much um, better space for you too as an individual because you're not constantly feeling out of your depth or you know yeah so, yeah. yeah and and you're you're also then not seeing um 
the successes, which might be luck, (laughs) you know, or the the downtimes, which might be luck as well, right? Bad luck versus good luck. We talk about, you know, overnight success is a word that's often thrown around and it's not generally true. You touched on before and if you're happy to kind of share with us, um, learning, growing, leading, there's a lot of growth and opportunity in that, but it also comes with scars and Mm. costs along the Mm. way. What has it taken for you personally um, to to kind of step into where you're at now? Yeah, I think too, like we go back to kind of that migrant story and I always talk about like farms and business owners and stuff like we're the original entrepreneurs and I really do believe that even though we don't sell that story, like what's more, you come to a different country, you buy a bit of land, you take a risk, you put all your money into putting some product, it grows and then you sell it. Like that's but it's not Bitcoin, so it's not as exciting, but really who's, you know, so, but then like all of us, and this is that kind of legacy of all, like, you know, your grandfather, no one helped him. He left his family and he came here when he was, you know, so that kind of keeps feeding and, and there is that constant push and pull unless you've got a lot of self-awareness, um, emotional maturity, whatever, it is very easy. And I fall into it all the time where you go, no one helped me. So why should I help anyone else? And that's kind of, you know, you go back to that trigger and trauma space. So to really evolve through that and to see where it has value and where you can introduce that into a space and hold that for people as a, but not then just kind of uh, resentfully let that be their case as well. Mm. I think that's, that's what I've learned and that has been, I've been, I'm sure that anyone who worked with me or under my charge from 20 to 25 would be absolutely amazed of who I am today and the conversations I have around this. And I am so too, because there was just no thought like that. So I don't know why that thought's occurred. I guess, you know, life, I read a bit, you know, you want to be probably you have you have stuff happens in your life. You want to be a better person than you were. You see see things for what they are. So it's all of that about like you know just a personal growth story. But when your growth story is so linked to guess I guess work and business, which again is kind of that migrant story. Those two things are very much the same. Where other people can have a maturity of person and a job and a career, they they can be very separate things. And I think the migrants you know, start a business owner's journey, those things become one of the same to a certain extent. And that's, that's exactly what I was thinking really when you're good, saying. But it's like, also, it's very, yeah. it's hard. It's it, it's hard to, to ever pull them apart. So that's too yeah. why you become so entrenched with this work thing and everyone's like, oh, no, no. But it's like, well, they are one of the same because they're part of your maturity, your growth, who you are, mm-hmm. because they were always linked where other people go, oh, well, I travelled in my, when I was, three years and that's where I grew and that's like that's where Mm. their ties are linked so I think it's true for anyone in business and I I I mean I love where you kind of go the farmers are the ultimate entrepreneurs because it's not only they taking a risk putting a crop in there's this element of patience and really boring waiting right that's not sexy that's not fast um and and that personal development is so closely aligned to professional development to business growth it is about you if things aren't selling it's on you as the the business owner what am I learning about myself it's so integral to be a part of that and you're bringing your own life into it as well you know whatever's going on in your personal life you're bringing to so you, you you it's they are very much the same you know and like your money's the same, you'll think, and, and it is like, the, as you do mature, you really try, and I think the people who are successful are able to separate those things, that you are not your business, that, you know, the money isn't all the same pool and all of those things. And you do separate that to a degree, but you don't. Like, you, you're still, there's still always that entrenchment of, you know, mm. you know, and I find that all the time I joke about Maslow's needs, you know, like, if things are going okay at business, oh, I seem like this really great, engaged friend, partner, person. Oh, yeah, like, oh, I've got so much energy and, you know, give, give, give. Something's going wrong at work all of a sudden. All I'm worrying about is money. Geez, is the parking $6 now in Williamstown? Like, when did it become $6 in Williamstown because I've paid an invoice? You know, like, you just become, you go from this, yep. like, amazing leader to, like, this most obnoxious, triggered human 
and and it's all entrenched and it's all going up and down. So I, I think the yep. main thing is not to say that it doesn't happen, but you have a bit of awareness about that and you say, I might shut up about the parking because no one cares and <laughs> this is your own stuff at lunch, Catherine. So and some of those highs, highs and lows can happen in an hour, right? Like yes. you're like, we're at top of the world, I can't yes. pay the parking. Yes. <laughs> what yes. do I do? Um, yes. And, yeah that it's some of it's messy and boring and, and not exciting in doing some research in uh, preparing for us connecting I was reading on your website and a couple of articles saying that Catherine thrives on a challenge talk to me about what's your relationship and this might tie to what we were just talking about what's your relationship like when you are faced with a challenge whether it's something that's kind of happening in a business where, where do you go to first when a challenge arises myself or just that's it. Like, mm. I think, uh, um, I think there's like again that sweet spot of tolerance. Like, I think I constantly need to be under challenge, but then there's obviously when it gets to a threshold of, you know, like it's. But I, I you know, I really do feel confident if someone gave me money and they said you have to invest this in something, I would invest it in me because I think that I would get that best return on investment for that. In and and that's and that's a very new thing for me. And I'm not saying that in any way other than I kind of know I'll succeed, even though that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of failures along the way. Because it's just like, what else are you going to do? That's kind of how I feel. Like, what I'm I'm just going to keep going, succeed, fail, succeed, fail, succeed, and die. Like, there doesn't I can't see a stop point for me. So there has to be success. Like, you, if you're mm. walking on something, you can trip, you can fall, you can go to sleep for two days but if 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 you have to walk a million miles you have to walk a million miles so you're going to do it I'm not going to say it's very graceful but (laughs) so I'm sure I'll make the million miles I'm not sure how good I'll do the million miles but I'm sure I'll make the million miles if that makes sense yeah just keep turning up to it figuring out the next step even amongst the failures talk to me a little bit about veg education you touched on it before about it being something and and even that talking to it's not necessarily the the attractiveness or sexiness of broccoli, but it's actually about the opportunity and business that, that is the thing that lights you up. What was yeah. the impetus behind the initiative of veg education? Well, the first part of it was very boring. So I had an injury at work, um, not myself. One of our workers, you know, cut their finger. I rang up a few of the farms around to say who could help me do the paperwork with this stuff. They sent me a number, which was Neil Salvador, who's the director with Veg Education with me. He came and helped me deal with that. And he was just, he was just amazing. And we created a real friendship, a real bond. We kept talking about stuff and we talked about how there was a real need for some tangible training within the industry for, you know, like me, no one wants to do anything bad, but we don't feel like there's a lot of solutions. We feel like there's just a lot of like blame, blah, blah, blah. So we're like, oh, how could we do that? Him having, so he's a, a lawyer and um, with HR and safety as his specialist. So it was like, oh, let's join these kind of skill sets. I can kind of talk to growers, you know, da, da, da. So that started in the tiny bit of what we were going to do. Then COVID hit and we thought, oh, why don't we become an RTO? And we said that not knowing at all what it would take to be an RTO because if we did, we wouldn't be an RTO. So it was good that we didn't know what it took to be an RTO because then about two years later, um, Neil had a friend, uh, Mark, who had RTO experience, which, and he was, he's, he's still, he's in our business. He's a very important part of it. But again, that was kind of like luck and timing. And then you start feeling these kind of coincidences almost. And like you start, I don't know, I'm not really, I know, I know now I'm starting to sound like Kanye West, but like you feel a bit fated, like, you know, like things start to give, it gives you a bit of confidence, gives you a bit of momentum. So we really started in that kind of boring safety space and we're still there as much as everyone will like me saying that. But, um, but then what evolved was like this schools program, like there was, a, there was a grant out for VFF and about having kids on schools and I was like, oh, why don't we do that now with the RTO? And then that evolved into this like nutrition space with like we do this high school program that we're starting next year called Feud Futures, which I'm so excited about because it's about linking home tech subjects to the supply chain of vegetables because you know there's all these core kids um young people customers that are so interested in food restaurants cooking shows everything Mm. like that like they can't get enough of it 
but they don't know that like the farm or the like they they don't link the two mm. so i think there's this core opportunity of of new workers of fresh eyes and ideas that we can reach through this so we've done that we've linked like supply chain stuff through that. We've got partners like Cobram Estate now and Perfection Fresh who are giving content and things like that for young people. So it's twofold. It's like encouraging, showing them really what horticulture is about, how exciting the opportunity does. Because I have to say, if there's one thing I do believe in, that horticulture has the most opportunities for the, for careers for the most amount of people in such a different way from from lower, you know, from from really... Um, unskilled tier jobs, and I mean that in the most respectful mm. way, to entry jobs, to, to, you know, marketing managers of multi-level, multi-corporate businesses and all that's in between. You know, you've got sciences, you've got economic, like there's, it just covers everything, but people don't think of it like that. They're just, it's a very simplistic view. So that's what we love doing. But also one in seven Australians eat enough vegetables. So we're trying to really push that into the curriculum as well you know, making people understand the different products, you know, things like broccolini and different things like that, heavy veg recipes, all of that thing, which is a skill set thing. So we feel like we kill a lot of um, problems at once, but obviously it's a it's a long-term um, simmer. But um, that's exciting. Like that, that, and that came out of just an evolution of thought and conversation. So five years ago when we started this all, that was not a thought, but things keep going. And I guess... Um, the more prominent we are, and that's, you know, I do cooking shows and stuff like that, and that's, you know, not just narcissism, but it's also about bringing different people to the table and and, and joining those dots for people because they just don't, like, they really, they really don't. And and when it, the light bulb goes off, though, you can see the magic that happens. And I think, like, if we could get 1% of all those light bulbs coming into horticulture, what that industry will look like in 10 years is just phenomenal. If I go back to, I mean, I think there's there's so many links and partly you're talking to grabbing the opportunities when they come up, following the pathways, um, which then has evolved and gotten to where it is right now. But I love where you were talking about, you know, we we go to the shops, we know the vegetables, but we don't necessarily stop and think about, you know, and almost kind of that sense of reading the labels um, yep. on vegetables. Where have they actually kind of come from? What do you wish that the general population knew more about in terms of understanding that supply chain or understanding the, the life cycle of the produce that they get in their home? I think firstly, um, we need to say as growers, we've let this opportunity always sit with others to have the conversation on our behalf, to have the storytelling on our behalf. And I think a lot of that is arrogant was arrogance. A lot of that was we were able to make money in the 80s and 90s quite easily. There was a lot of different things going on. So it was never something that we needed to venture into. We never had to think forward. We never had to do our own marketing. That was always someone else's job and that worked mm. fine for us. Now we're in a new world. It doesn't work fine for us anymore. We'd, we're not making the money. We don't have any of the power. So we've allowed that opportunity to bolt. And now what I believe is our biggest opportunity is to try to pull that conversation back to us, back closer to the farm, that value proposition that, you know, everyone's really used to their benefits, retailers, hospitality, chefs, every cooking shows, like everyone has used that story to their benefit and that's moved their value proposition further and further from us and into them. And I think that's our biggest opportunity to bring it back. And again, that's not begrudging them. They saw the opportunity and used it. And we were like, yeah, okay, well, we're happy with the price we're getting paid because it makes sense with the cost we've got and we weren't projecting forward. So the most important thing I think consumers need to understand, customers, everyone needs to understand is how much actually goes into growing something from a cost perspective because I just don't think there's any sort of real understanding around the way the market works, fluctuations, the prices of things. You know, like mm. we have been so entrenched that a letter should cost a dollar fifty, and we don't think that anyone's losing at a dollar fifty. You know, and that's why would you think anyone's losing? Because mm. no one ever goes in and shops and buys something and thinks about that. So that's no. that's fine. That's not begrudging anyone. But then when it moves to four dollars, 
because there's never any understanding of that you have to buy a seed, you have to have a plant, you then have to have a team that puts it in the ground. That then sits on land that you're paying a mortgage on for 12, 14, 15 weeks that you're not doing anything else. You then come in and if the weather's bad, you might only cut 50% of that. You know, like all of that conversation just needs, and it's not with an agenda, it just needs to be knowledge because then that makes us all very different in how we talk. And then the other thing I think is really um, important as we go forward uh, is talking about specifications on product. I think um, the obsession with a perfect product and the fact is that really no one even knows what's not getting to shelves for reasons and the costs of that having it, and not just a physical cost, but the cost that is having on farms, on sustainability, on all those other things, that needs to be, that that, that really needs to be addressed because food safety, we're, we're, if our food is safe and is being linked to if our food is perfect and they're very different conversations and they're very different needs. And I think they've been amalgamated. So I think it's important that we start talking about that because you know, it's easy for everyone to kind of sit at home and say, oh, we want really sustainable food and we want cheap food and we want this, but you can't have it all. So we have to pick which one it is. And again, I'll go back to, I'm actually a business owner. So whatever the market chooses, I will follow. I'm not, in, like I have my own personal beliefs, but I'll follow the market. But at the moment, what the market wants is just unattainable. So you're talking about um, only like, yeah, Certain sizes of heads or, you know. yeah. Yes, if, Mm. you know, if there's hail marks on spring onions, well, they're not making it to the store. Like, so you're not, you know, those kind of things that are just fundamentally. And again, if everyone goes, no, having no marks on my spring onion is the most important thing for me, that's fine. But then the spring onions have to be $5 or they have to or be realistic that we're wasting 50 of them 50% of them on the like it again i don't have an opinion on what the market should want like the market can want what mm. it wants but it needs to know what the costs are because i don't think the market wants what it wants based on actual knowledge it's just it doesn't know and if it knew then its wants would change do you think there's an opportunity now um and I'm, i guess i'm going back even 50 years that there is a, a a bigger opportunity to go direct to consumers with some of these stories through social media, through yeah. uh, so there are different platforms in a way that farmers just never had before. It was always through a wholesaler, a retailer um, anyway, or someone actually physically visiting the farm. What do you see as the opportunities of sharing some of these stories? Yeah, I agree. You're probably right. I was probably a bit harsh when I said we left it up to everyone else. <laughs> there probably wasn't the avenues. You're right. So, mm. so I, 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 I take that back to a certain degree. Even though I still think there was a little bit of there is a bit of totally. laziness. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, I think I think that's that is the opportunity. And the opportunity again isn't like personally we don't sell branded products. So you know we sell broccoli as a. This is not about. Everyone going, oh, geez, tomorrow they're going to go buy Valicia Farms broccoli. That's, that's that's irrelevant to me. But what what I really, obviously I've got a veg education business that this is linked to, but it really is, I just, you know, if one in seven people are eating enough vegetables, all we need to do is make that two in seven and we've doubled what we're producing. Mm. Now, if we link that even to a food security story about if we can make Australians eat so much more food, then all of a sudden it becomes much more profitable to run our businesses, to grow more stock. All of these things tie in. Like there's so many bits you tie, have to tie in and that's why I like you can't do it in an hour podcast and I can't even, because I, sometimes I even think of new things and that's why this education piece is so important again because it's it's not about I have no idea what the answers are, but it's about understanding the whole supply chain properly rawly I don't really believe there's a right or a wrong personally I'm not really emotively attached to a side but what I am emotively attached to is that the conversation is a proper conversation that that decisions are being made on actual intelligent facts of real outcomes that can be you know the sustainability story and I use that term really quite strongly is a story to a certain extent because what the needs what the market wants goes against the ability for businesses to be sustainable. So unless that is really shown and then people decide, no, sustainability is our number one priority, 
then we're actually able to make those other changes. But if we just have this false black and white conversation that doesn't really tell anything, nothing's going to change because you can't. You can't You can't run your business at a loss to be sustainable like unless people are going, no, this is really the cost of things. So that's really because I'm just a person, I'm a very like kind of truth. I, I just... That I, I just can't stand. So it's not even, I don't care. It's just like, just have a proper conversation though. Like I don't want to be involved in bullshit conversations because it's just a waste of everyone's time, you know, like just don't what, have it. What's coming <laughs> to mind as you're talking too is this is a collaborative process rather than sustainability being pushed onto the farmers mm. uh, and going, right, well, you show us your sustainable practices. It yes. is actually an ecosystem in itself uh, that all of us are actually a part of. So how do we be more mindful or at least just, you know, I'm sitting here going, recognising my own ignorance, right? Yeah. You know, that's the first starting point. To it go, is, and okay, I'm ignorant then. too. It's not a begrudging and I'm as no. bad as customer as anyone else. I go in there and pick the apple that doesn't have a mark on it like everyone else. I'm, oh, please, this is not Because I want my kids to eat it, right? <laughs> and I'm a better person than I'm, I'm probably the worst. But it's about letting everyone know and then actually making some collective action or having no collective action. And let's just all say we can't be bothered, we're all too lazy, da-da-da, and the way of the world is the way of the world. Well, that's fine too. But, like, let's not just pretend this backwards and forwards all the time that's I don't Mm. think achieves anything. One of the other, I imagine the other stories is the challenges around climate impacts so floods you throw in fires it impacts your primary producers and it always has here in Australia right like we are a country of extremes uh, when it comes to climate and we've seen significant challenges over the last two years how have some of these impacted your farms well COVID was a huge impact we're Victorian so that impacted us like, and we were allowed to work, but just, just, and that impacted everyone. Um, so it's not, but like, there's been a lot of things. Um, Werribee South, we're really lucky. And that's why, you know, it's a small pocket of the world that really should be housing now. It's right near the beach. It's encrouched with all houses. But the reason why it won't change is still one of the best growing areas because of these things. We don't really get these huge weather calamities. Um, it's mild, it well produces, blah, 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 blah. Um, look, the cl- like you said, the climate um, story is not a new one, even though it seems to be escalating more and more and more. But what really is the answer? Because you could even like, you can say let's grow in glass houses or vertical farming, but if you have a cyclone, well, that's gone as well. So like it's, there's not really, it is what it is, but I think the key is about risk mitigation. But again, I'll go back back to this education story. It's about not expecting your blueberries to be there all the time. We've had, you know, and this was, and this is what I still found really surprising. This kind of um, indignation about how dare we have not be, have these things available to us. And this we don't we don't really value value we value the fact that we should have it all the time cheap. That's that's our expectation around fruit and vegetables, like. And and if if that changes, we are so indignant. Like we're like, how dare we not be able to buy an iceberg lettuce? Hang on a minute, you probably haven't had an iceberg lettuce for a month. What now? You can't have it now with this obsession. Like it's a weird kind of brain we're in with stuff like this. Like the toilet paper. It's like it's like we've just had cyclones. There's no blueberries, and if they're fifteen dollars, it's because don't buy them because there's none around and they're crap. Like have an apple. Like Mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, again, and that's that piece around the education, like what yeah. cost are we willing to go to to just have everything available all the time and cheaply because that's going to come at a cost. It might not be the cost at your, at your ticket right now, but it's coming at a cost somewhere else. And I actually think for the majority of people if they – take the time, pause enough to kind of understand the story. They totally get it, right? Like, yeah. you know, if we were growing our own vegetables or herbs in the backyard and you realise that, yep, hail's ruined my tomatoes, we're just not having tomatoes for the next couple of weeks, kids. And we we get that. Um, it's just that we're so programmed and change is not easy for human beings. <laughs> so if my blueberries well, aren't there so and I always monetized. get them. Mm. Like we've been, you know, we, we view these natural products naturally occurring products that are completely different we're comparing them to a packet of chips and 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 because we've been entrenched in this shopping you know you buy your packet of biscuits they come they're exactly the same every time 
this is what we want. And we, 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 we like that certainty and that's why these products are not only because of all the other addictive and everything else, but it's that certainty that you know that you bring back a bowl of pasta, you've got a packet of pasta, you've got your sauce, you're not getting to there ready to cook going, oh, geez, kids, there's only half a pack, oh, I can't use half the pasta. There's a certainty that dinner is going to be on the table. With fresh produce, there's a little bit of it, and we and everyone wants that uncertainty to be removed, removed more, which is fine also. But again, it comes at a cost, and that's the thing. It's it's not about that's wrong. I'm the same. If I come home and I cut open a tomato and it's black inside, I'm angrier than anyone. Like that doesn't. I'm not. I'm you know. But it, we need to understand what all of this means, and then move forward with that. And I think that's where the education piece. That's where the growers speaking directly about all of this is very important. And also, then you go into the shop and you do see the broccoli, and it's not looking great. You've got a much more forgiving understanding about it. You're not feeling like you're being ripped off. You're not feeling like you're not getting value for money. Which, which, unless there's that story of information around it, why wouldn't you? Because you don't buy a substandard biscuit. Your biscuit is always your biscuit, isn't it? Mm. Like, so that's why it's such an important difference because it's a different product. Yeah, yeah, and there's a different connection to the yeah. land, to where it's coming from. In terms of if there is someone listening going, ah, oh, I want to find out more, <laughs> where would you direct people? Obviously you've got your education pieces but a lot of that is very much kind of specific whether it's in like for the industry as well as in um, schools. I know you're kind of promoting that education space. Is there key areas that you would encourage people to go to to at least be starting to invest more into the stories and the conversation? Yeah, well, definitely. I think follow farmers. You know, we do a lot of stuff on our Instagram and stuff like that, Felicia Farms, Veg Education, which I do like videos. But, you know, Ausveg, who's our industry body, they they have a lot of stuff. And the Nutrition Australia and all those kind of bodies, like what's really been very um really, I guess, soul-filling and what I've seen now with the RTO and things like that, there is, there is, like you said, there is this new approach that this needs to be a full conversation with everyone. We need to be working together as a collective, as a whole, as a strategy. And that's why I guess, like I said, the RTO wasn't planned, but it feels like it's the perfect tool for everyone to use to work together because, again, it's not like really, it's much bigger than Valicia Farms, it's much bigger than me this ability to kind of be able to reach through proper certified channels, national training um, with everyone's involvement, I think could be could be how this industry will be different in 20 years than what how, how it is now. And I think that's really important. And I think it's also important that our mind shifts change, that we know we can't do it alone and it's not our, it's not our market to capture because it won't work then. Like... It's, it's only going to work if, if we all really sit down and have these kind of nuanced conversations without judgment. And I think, you know, social media and everything has such a great place, but it has really dumbed down conversations. It's black and white conversations. Mm. You know, there's a right, there's a wrong. People want to know an answer in 30 seconds. Well, really, if that's how you work, you get nowhere because that doesn't exist, but it stops a lot of things. It's all in the grey that it's mm. all in the nuance that real change and evolution happens and no one really wants to sit in that space anymore but I think that's that's really the important space for us to know and that's where I say that the knowledge is so important it's not an answer I'm not saying to you buy organic or don't buy organic or whatever I don't know what's right I don't know if it's feasible to feed the world organically or not feed them organically I have no idea but it's really important for you to understand why it's $15.99 organically and how A, B and C happens and why it looks like this and why ours is $3.99, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, then someone smarter can make, can make, can make the call on the organics or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. if you're not sharing the knowledge, no one can come up with any sort of answer. And it starts with and that seed of curiosity. Let's, let's pose and ask the questions because even as you were talking uh, you know, as farmers and primary producers, it's a, it would be very different to farms in Werribee versus northern Queensland, right? So exactly. what's going on for them, what's uh, what's really critical climate-wise, cyclones, those sorts of things. Uh, Commodities even, like product from product. You know, we grow mm. cauliflowers, we grow 12 months a year. You have cherries 
You have a three-month window to make all your money. If you get a frost and all the buds fall off, you don't have a harvest. You need a crew that works for three months instead of 12 months. Like it's all so different, but that's why it's so important for the cherry grower to tell their story too and not just, you know, as much as I would love to be a spokesperson on behalf of everyone. Um, I don't. I, I, it's, it's so important for everyone to talk about different things mm. and like I'll flip this quickly, but as, as a, uh, this is something else I feel really passionate about, like kind of as a female leader, like if you're a man, you can just be a business person and really good at that and like that, and that's okay. But when you're when you're a woman, you need to care about something. You need to always be fixing something, passionate about something, right? And there's things that I care about and am passionate, but I don't care about everything, and I'm not passionate about everything. All right, as much as everyone wants you to be. That's why it's important for everyone to step up because you'll be mm. passionate about things that you can talk about with conviction, and I'll be passionate about things, and that's how we get a full conversation of change. But if we just leave it up to one person to then have to pretend that they're passionate about X, Y, and Z, it, it doesn't work. And that's why it doesn't matter what who you are, really stepping into your power, stepping into your conviction is so important because then that's how change happens, you know. You talk about the horticulture being the most important industry and, and for anyone that eats food, it's probably likely that it's really critical. And you mentioned before about really wanting to champion more diversity across the industry. What do you hope to see change within the industry? I guess this is a bit of a call out again to people to come and, yeah. uh, you know, at least ask the question about horticulture or look at it uh, from a whole different areas. But over the next five years, what, what are some of the things that you would love to see change more people kind of coming to the industry? Well, the reason I say I think it is the most important, other than air and water, is there really any other product other than fruit and vegetables that humans genuinely need to survive? Now, I'm sure the meat and dairy may suggest otherwise, but I, I truly don't believe that. And that doesn't mean I don't eat those other things. But for human survival, if we take away air and water, what what other one commodity do we need? And I would suggest that's fruit and vegetables. So I don't I actually don't think it's questionable if we're not the most I think that's just fact we're the most important industry so that that's the frame there mm. but again this ties into we're talking about all that nuances like if you care about climate change if you care about affordable food if you care about social justice if you care about you know globalization and and corporations that is all tied into horticulture that, that these we are the fundamental changes you make so literally it doesn't matter what you're into, what your skill set is, if you're marketing, if you're finance, if you're sales, anything. Why wouldn't you do it for this one product that will either save or kill the world? Like that's a reality. Bring your skill. That was a rally so cry. If that's, not, if that's not a compelling proposition for a career, I don't know what is. That's right. You just watch horticulture blow up. Horticulture careers go from here. Um, I almost want to give up my job. Yes, yeah, <laughs> That's it. What am I doing on a bloody podcast? I've got to go and plant some What trees. are you wasting your time with? Come on. Do a podcast for horticulture. <laughs> You talked a lot about obviously the draw towards again business and opportunity and you've um, continuing to do some really incredible things over the last five years. If you personally look ahead in the next five years, what's your next area of growth do you think? And some of it might be unknown because uh, shit, who knows what's going to come. But what do you see, what are you excited about what's next in terms of your own growth? I'd like to take the, the the secondary school global, and I think there's a real opportunity to do that. North America, all of the Western countries have the exact same problem as, as we do. We are not alone in consumption, in workforce issues, in all of those. That's this is this is the you know the white man world's problem. It really is. Not to mention all the other countries, which you know I, I don't know enough about, but we are just all the same. This Western world problem. So I really think there's a there's a global piece, a global strategy that needs to because Australia is no different to the to the rest of the Western world in these areas. Um, so that's where I would really like to, you know, I don't know, be talking to the UN about food futures or something like that. Mm. Um, but personally, just to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm growing in a, in, in a way that uh, in my leadership and in my, I guess, integrity that remains, remains on par and that doesn't get swayed too much, um, which can, can sometimes 
you know, you do have to be really mindful and present of what's happening, particularly when you start getting success and, and different people start aligning to you and, and things like that. You have to make, you have to be very, very self-aware um, and also just allowing that space for my team to continually keep growing. Like I would be devastated if I look back on 20 years and I was in some far-flung, amazing, glamorous place and my team weren't given the opportunity to, if they want to or they don't, that's up to them. We all have different goals and aspirations in life. But if I, uh, the last thing I, I make, sure, I want to make sure that I'm bringing everyone along with me. So that's, that's probably my most, um, again, probably going back to that place that maybe because that's not what I had. So I really am, am, am really uh, passionate about trying to make sure that I make it a, a more, I won't say easier path because I'm not sure if that's necessarily leads to the same success but more supported path for success as again in preparation for this um one of the things I saw you kind of say is that people can't follow paths that they can't see and just that probably speaks to how important it is to at least be kind of you know saying at least there's a pathway here if you're interested then then jump on it's not going to be easy there's going to be challenges you're going to have to figure stuff out along the way but there at least is a path that you can step onto um and and kind of move forward and you know being a a a strong female leader in the industry but also um that that's kind of sense of diversity I imagine that's a big kind of path and opportunity as well yeah for sure in terms of um you know that transition from your dad to you in the business um you know how how is he in terms of supporting where the business is at now? Oh, he's in Brisbane. Um, so he moved straight away. So now he goes for walks around in the sun during the day. <laughs> he works in the Brisbane market. He works for a different business. Um, he's, he still he still does sales. He loves it, not for our business. But he definitely, um, he loves talking to my sales team and helping helping um, them. And, and look, dad is a bit of a champion in his own way. Like he really does help young young people in the industry and sales and stuff like that. I guess it was just like I was never into sales and that wasn't really where I so and again you can only like you can only lead and give what you've got as your own skill set. And that's why again if we go back to that education piece about why I believe it's so important. You can only give to the capacity that you have. So unless you're constantly filling your capacity, you can't keep walking a path because it's not because you don't want to help anyone or you can't show them the way, but you you can't do it yourself. So you have to do it yourself first, feel yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on, all the cliche sayings, but it is so very true. And just by doing that, you do help others. And like I said, we go back to those Maslow needs. I know when I'm feeling full, how much of a better person I am in all areas of my way. You know, someone asked me to come over and help them cut a tree down and I'll help them. If I'm feeling, you know, not great. I get a text. I'm like, oh, does everyone just want every piece of my blood? Mm. You know, like it's it's just so it's so important that whole like self care in such a holistic and non narcissistic way to be able to share the capacity. And again, that's back to that education, you know. And it's not about just the skills. It's about how you feel about yourself to be able to step forward into the next stage. Do you personally have any non negotiables to kind of? Um look after your own energy or that kind of self-care like when you can notice when just in a bit of a shit place and you've I've got to pull myself out of it <laughs> are there key tools that's a lot. that you that's have quite often. yeah that's, that's quite often <laughs> that's just a Tuesday uh, I get that but. yeah for the record, that's probably what 10 20 times a day um Oh, I must admit, I, I am. I, as I've gotten older I'm, I'm 38 now so I've learned a lot of lessons along the way and, and it is really important. Uh, but I do, I, I'm, I'm quite, I, I work in cycles, you know, I can see myself, oh, damn. I, like I even know when I'm in a bit of a bad, I'm like, oh, here we go. How long is this going to take till ride out? And then I go into a good place. But I think it's yep. just about, you do have to, I think a routine's good, you know. Um, unfortunately, I'm a terrible sleeper. So that doesn't, that really messes up a lot of my routine. But I am mindful of that. Um and I guess I take it like I take it easy when I have to, you know, weekends and things like that. I say no to things now where I probably used to not say no to um, going to events or dinners and stuff like that. So I, I say no to a lot of things, but it's definitely a work in progress. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like some of those really good people, you know, get up at five, go for a swim every day, do run, <laughs> head to the, I, tr- I try, 
I wish I was, but I must admit I'm not that good. There's too much on, too many things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, I want to come full circle. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? I think it's about reaching whatever you think is your potential and that, and that, and that can be different and, and what potential or what you want is different. And it doesn't even mean you have, like, I don't necessarily mean it makes, I don't think like initially happy if you reach your potential, but I think it's what you, you were put on earth for. I kind of, I, I have to tell myself that because, you know, sometimes you do question why, why, why is it all here and what is it all thing? So I guess if, if that's your goal, even if it's, happy, bad, sad, whatever it is, but you're there to reach whatever you were supposed to reach. I think that's a standout life. I'd sign up for that for sure. This has been such a powerful and important conversation. Catherine, I'm going to well, go you come and hand, join, join us in Horticulture now. my res- resignation. I'm on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. There is so much fire in Catherine's story, in her ambition and drive. For me, the real takeaway from this conversation is the power of education. When we know more, when we know better, we do better. So there's a lot that I know I'm taking away in terms of thinking about when I go to Woolies and I complain because the blueberries aren't there or they've gone up in price, to actually think about where the blueberries have come from what season they might be in, and maybe the pathway between the farmer and me taking fruit and veggies home. And there's a much bigger conversation for us to dive into. Outside of that, the sheer tenacity that Catherine exuded uh, through these conversations, the opportunity to kind of challenge norms and to think about how to do things differently is going to be some key things that I know I'll take away. I hope you loved this conversation. Again, if you are enjoying this podcast, please, my ask would be to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. For those that are on on Apple Podcasts, then the opportunity to do it there is really valuable and it allows us to continue to share these conversations around the world. But for now, until the next episode, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.